Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Science of Storytelling, the podcast that explores how content is changing the world of marketing and the people behind those stories. I'm Jared Grimm. Today, my guest is Stella Bales, director of Coverage Book. Coverage Book has rescued thousands of PR professionals from that mundane task of manually building press coverage reports for their clients. You may also know Stella from her own PR Resolution podcast, but today she'll be on the other side of the mic as we talk about the world of public relations, how building MySpace pages for bands kicked off her career, and what digital marketing and PR can learn from each other. This is our first cross-Atlantic podcast, and even though we may be 4,500 miles apart, challenges and opportunities in PR are not so very different after all. My guest today is Stella Bales, Director of Coverage Books. Stella, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I remember I first came across Coverage Book and you. It was actually a couple of years ago and I had just started Press Board. And I remember we were like just about every company out there. When you're a startup, you don't have a lot of marketing budget. uh, So you try and lean into getting some PR as early as you can, and usually with a launch of a company, that can get you a few hits anyway. And I remember we got a few pieces of coverage from some ad industry publications, and I wanted to put it together for a report for our investors, because we had just uh, been in an incubator and had a couple of investors. And that was the first time I came across Coverage Book. And I thought it was really cool because you just drop in some links and then I got these great images and it looked like I was a PR pro even though I had never done it before in my life. So that was the first time I came across Coverage Book uh, and came across you. But I uh, I noticed that and in talking to you, you've been in this PR space for quite a while in, in a lot of different roles and companies. I'm curious, what drew you to PR in the first place? Yeah, so it has been a while now. Um, I've been in PR software for, well, since the birth of Coverage Book, which is almost five years. And then previous to that, yeah, agencies. So um always been agency side within public relations and digital marketing. And I think it's almost around 17 years now. When I started in PR at the very young age of 18, mm. <laughs> as a teenager, when yeah. I started doing public relations, and um, what actually drew me in, I think, um, honestly, was passion for a particular sort of area and hobby in my life that I was very, very passionate about. Um, it wasn't that I stepped out at college to say, I'm going to be a PR practitioner. It didn't really kind of, it didn't work out like that. Actually, what happened was that uh, when I was 18 years old, I was very, very passionate about a genre of music. And um, Adidas were um, actually putting on some um, events where they were sponsoring um, not just athletes, but they wanted to start to, start to sponsor urban music artists yeah. as well. And um, it was actually my sister who was working on Adidas and those events at the time. And they invited me in to, um, to just find out a bit more about that genre of music, just to find out about maybe who they should sponsor and who they should get involved in that kind of thing. Got quite involved in uh, those events um, and added that from a work experience perspective. And then I just fell in love with it from there. And then I worked very, very hard um, and then uh, started my career at Hill and Knowlton, London, uh, yeah, oh, at the young age of 18. So that's where it started. Mm. It came from passion of a particular area and then I le- I'm learning on the job and then started to 
gained my qualifications in PR in the evenings after work. I also said I actually was doing some form of PR before I knew it was actually public relations, before I um, went into the agency and started working on those events. But through the, the music industry that I was really passionate about, um, I was taking pictures for events and then I was friends with some DJs and it was way back when, when uh, MySpace had just, just started. And um, I was making MySpace pages for DJs who didn't know how to be online. <laughs> and I was designing their MySpace pages and helping them out with it. And then how did you move from, you know, making people's MySpace pages and promoting, you know, music genres and then getting into more of the technology side? Maybe talk a little bit about uh, Coverage Book. Uh, for the listeners that don't know, maybe give them an idea of what it is and, and how it started. About seven years into my PR career, I was uh, quite focused on digital PR and working for um, lots of different consumer brands. But at that time, I was working at an agency, um, and I absolutely loved uh, that, that, part, that part of my role. I was organizing events, did lots of uh, influencer outreach, and I loved it. The part of the role that I didn't love was when we came to the measurement part. I just want to be clear about the, the why I didn't like it. So we were very proud of our work and we did smash our KPIs every single every single campaign. We did a really great job. But when it came to going into the client's uh, office and then and then going into an all agency meeting, so that meant that we were the PR agency, the advertising agency joined, the digital team would join, and we would all present our results. That was the part that always we always ended up being a little deflated after the meetings. And the reason for that was because we would show our work and we would, as I say, we would smash our KPIs in terms of how many pieces of coverage we said that we would get. But it was when the digital team would come in and just come in with their, I mean, like real, real hard statistics. And so they would have like, um, we, we uplifted the traffic to the website by X percent. We made X amount of sales. Um, and it was just so impressive. They didn't even show any kind. They didn't even need to show any kind of creative or screen grabs or like like we were doing. Right. They just showed like true, true, um, yeah, true metrics and and great, great result. Um, I mean, it was before sort of going to the software part, but that was when I decided to learn more about digital marketing um, in a much um, deeper sense and just to really learn about analytics. And so I left uh, what was I, I would describe as a traditional PR agency and joined the digital marketing agency. That's when my career changed quite a lot. But then it was at that, at that agency, and I stayed there for nine years, that I then developed um, a PR team within a digital marketing context. And it was there that actually Coverage Book was born. So for those of you who haven't heard of Coverage Book, it is a reporting tool. So it automates um, clips books or coverage reports. And so this was a job that all of my team, at that point, we had about 25 people in, in my PR team. And every single Friday, they needed to build those coverage reports, which is consisted of them taking screenshots of the coverage, adding that to a PowerPoint document, and then going off to find various metrics to try and prove how many people might have seen that coverage. And we had to send it to our clients every single Friday. That task was a manual task, and it used to take my team nearly all day to build those reports, sometimes longer, if the campaign was successful. So 
there was actually it was Gary Preston who um you've probably heard of. He's the he's the main founder of uh Coverage Book. It was he was the strategy director um at the agency and he stopped me and was like, there must be a tool out there that does it automatically. Right. I was like, Gary does not, trust me, does not. <laughs> you know, Pierre Armstrong have been doing this for, for years. And so Gary went off um, and got some developers together um and and built a version of coverage books. Not exactly how it looks today. It's actually a much bigger platform. But the team starts to use it. They had, they would start, they used it for about a year, um, and they were so much happier because they didn't have to do this sort of real grunt work of, you know, it's real sort of admin led copying and pasting, copying and pasting. They didn't have to do that anymore. So they were very, very happy. Also, they had so much time freed up that they all took on an extra client. So, uh, it worked out really well. Then, lots of other people in the PR industry started to hear about it. And they were like, ha, we need that. Um, and so, as I say, it's almost five years now that we decided to test it as um, as uh, its own software, and um, and it's just massively grown since then. We're now in 46 countries. So, um, so that's the story of Coverage Book and where of where it came from. I love I love that it comes from this problem that you have inside of your PR group, inside of a digital marketing agency. I think just about every great idea came from this problem that the founders had. Uh, they kind of used it themselves for a little while and then realized that, oh, a lot of other people could use this too. And I've seen uh, you've created, you and the team have created other products as well. Maybe you can just touch on those. I know that there's there's a three or four other products that you guys have created. So Coverage Brick Automates, uh, those coverage reports, as I've just mentioned. Then our, um, quite, it's actually quite a big tool, but it's a, a different type of audience. So it's answerthepublic.com. As so, answer the public, again, it was a tool that was built, uh, because we had a need. So whenever we would go and pitch to win a client, um, we would need to go and look at the insight around the topic or the, or the industry of that client. Answer the Public essentially looks at all of the questions that are being asked around a particular topic. So we could put in sneakers and it would bring back all of the questions that have been asked recently about sneakers. Um, and it, it's really, really interesting. You end up getting to some really bizarre questions, but also questions that you just, especially if you are working within that industry or that brand day in, day out, you sometimes forget, you know, some of these basic questions that people just need answering. And often right. there isn't content online to answer those questions. So yeah, that tool really, really helps that. Well, I think um, just to touch on that one, I know that um, at Press Board, we were always getting tasked with this, uh, you know, come up with a new story idea. And by the time you are on your 20th campaign with a financial institution, you've run out of ideas, right? Like there's only so many things that come to mind when you're talking about mortgages. Uh, and once you've done, you know, ways to buy your first house or way of like how to move in efficiently, all these things, you start, you start running out of new ideas. Um, I know that some of our team has already used that tool just because of the, you forget that other people have questions that you don't have. Yeah. Um, and I think this is something in, in general in marketing that I've seen is we do have this really strong bias towards the way that we do things. I think that this is a cool way to get yourself outside of your 
really strong personal bias of that all people act the way that you act. Absolutely. It's also based on the most popular questions and also the most recent and it's real people asking those real questions. So, I mean, I'm, I'm probably biased to search insight, but I mean, I just think it's the most powerful insight that we have as a marketing industry. It's amazing the kind of insight that you can get. And, and also, um, you'll find that, um, people ask questions to Google that then don't have the confidence to ask in real life as well. It's, it's quite incredible some of the questions that come out of this. You're like, oh yeah, people just don't feel comfortable asking that in, in, in real life in, yeah. to another human, but they'll ask Google. <laughs> this episode of the Science of Storytelling is brought to you by Pressboard Boost. Hey, listen, we all know getting press coverage is damn hard. And once you finally get that elusive press hit, it disappears from the news cycle and social media in a matter of days or more likely hours. But what if you could bring back that press coverage back to life anytime you wanted and get it in front of the people that matter, back into their social feeds as if it was brand new? Pressboard Boost is a PR professional secret weapon. Check it out at boost.studiostack.com and start boosting your coverage right now. That's boost.studiostack.com. I love this idea of this tool that can pull these insights out that people maybe don't declare in the same way that they would in public or the way that they may even do in social media. I think there's this, if you go back to when you and I started in the industry, um, and not to not to age ourselves too much, but you look at the tools that are available now compared to what was available uh, when we first got started in our own spaces, this uh, access to information and that we can find out what people are thinking about. Uh, so let's move over to metrics. I know that's a, a key place that you've you've really focused on in PR um, is bringing you know more clarity around metrics and more efficiencies there. Have you seen PR evolve from you know the early days of PR where maybe you had uh, it was in print and they actually took the piece of paper out and, and provided that to the client um, or did a scan of it or whatever to to now? What are the biggest changes that you've seen in PR measurement over that time? Yeah, so I mean, this is a really big topic that we could probably talk about all day. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that the um, Big change is that we have access to more data. That's the obvious point, right? So we are now swimming in sea of data. We have so much access. And even though the public relations industry is slower to access some of that data in comparison to other areas of marketing, we are getting there now. And um, it is the norm that people have access to analytics. However, I think um, for public relations as an industry, it's assumed it's a good thing that we now have access to all of this data, but I can see what's happening right now, and I'm hoping this is going to change, is that we, we've lost our confidence a little bit as an industry. Mm. I think that when it used to be a lot more simple, when we were comfortable, everyone used the same uh, numbers across the board, no matter what vertical we were in and, um, and we're what kind of business or organization we were promoting, everybody used the same metrics, and it would always be circulation, um, viewing figures, uh, once it was online, it was a monthly site-wide numbers, and and they all came from the same um, data point as well, same source. They shouldn't be. There shouldn't be that lack of confidence. They should be very confident in the work they're doing and the impact that they're having. Um, 
but it's hard because all they can sort of see is you know lots of um, big dashboards and spreadsheets of data that, 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 that some of their competitors in these other areas of marketing might be using. And when when people don't understand something, it introduces fear. But actually, I know that those you know those reports they aren't really telling stories, and often um, there's so much data. You know, we there's there's a lot of talk at the moment in the PR industry about attribution and how it you know it might be possible to um, have full attribution of what PR has contributed in comparison to other areas of marketing. Do you know what? Like, I mean, I, I'm going to say this. I don't think that is possible because it's especially for large organizations, it's almost impossible to have every single area of marketing using exactly the same data points yeah. um, in exactly the same way. Um, and it's, it's just so hard to track the exact journey of anybody online. So, you know, going back to my point, I think that it's a shame that, you know, it's great that we're using more, uh, we're using more data and we're using more technology to be able to measure our work. Um, but I hope that we do sort of lose this fear and become more confident um, with our measurement and and what we're actually delivering. That's that's interesting because I've always I I love PR. I love what it can do for a company. I think it's incredibly hard, and I think I've told you this before. Is that to me, being an outsider um, to PR, never being a practitioner myself, it's a little bit like magic, right? So. Anytime you see, like, how do you get this coverage? How do you get to know this reporter? How do you get on that morning show? Um, and and it's a skill set that that not everybody has. But on the other side, coming from you know an advertising background, is the the data and the analytics. They're, I mean, they're just table stakes. So the advantage of paid media a lot of times is that you have uh, access to the data meaning you can put a pixel or a JavaScript on the page or in the ad. Uh, you can put cookies wherever you want. Because you have this paid relationship, it gives you this ability to put some of your own technology into your advertising. And it's served through ad tech and, and marketing technologies. On the other hand, PR a lot of times is is interesting because I think it's really strong in the storytelling area. But when you're pitching you know, a reporter a story and they cover it, it's unlikely that you can then follow up with them and say, that's great. As soon as you publish it, do you mind if you put this line of code on there? Because I really want to be able to retarget the readers of, of that story. So there's a, yeah, there you can't a, do that. <laughs> yeah, there's a disadvantage that, um, that comes with that. Well, this is, um, you know how I say the PR to me, and I think to a lot of people is like this magic or, or it's this black box where you just don't understand how it's done. Maybe, and I think if you're in PR, that's not true. You you know what you do. Um, you know what the value is. You know how it's created. It's repeatable. Um, can you, for our listeners that aren't in PR, um, what's the magic behind behind what you do? So whether and let, let's focus. I know PR is a really broad area, but I think a lot of people their first thought is they hire a PR agency or they bring in a PR person because they're looking for earned media. Um, and is there, a, is there a magic formula behind getting a story covered by the press? So the press specifically, I mean, I, it's not a magic formula other than um, in true insight of um, the, the brand or the organization's audience. So really, really understanding that audience to such a level that then you understand how they're influenced. Um, and so, 
you've mentioned press that is one way that an audience is influenced but then they're influenced through other areas too so it could be social an instagram influencer or mm-hmm. it could be lots of other elements now um but that sort of real understanding is like step one i guess of the formula and then step two is relationships and then influencing the influencer that's the magic um and that is that will never change in pr um it's always about um, relationships and and how you influence but then being able to um i guess the third element is being able to tell a story storytelling is so important so being able to take a brand story and then being able to not just repeat but deliver it in a way that you know the audience will love it and then being able to um sort of flex and adapt it so it's right for those different types of influencers as well and so then having the relationships built with those influencers and then telling them this brand story in a way that you know that they're going to love it um that's the magic so it's lots of um adapting and being flexible um, and understanding those relationships to be able to do that but i think this raises another question which is which is an area that that i know that you're like hugely passionate about which is data and analytics um around pr around storytelling in general and once you introduce these social platforms things that used to work so i know you mentioned uh you'd have you know how many page views there were a month or the uh, advertising value equivalent like what's the advertising value equivalent of an influencer posting about your product on instagram that gets sixteen thousand likes or shares Uh, the question is how do you look at analytics when we're not just talking about articles on newspaper sites we're talking about video and instagram and all of these different pieces how do you look at analytics from that standpoint yeah, I mean, it has to be, I do believe it, it, there is no cookie cutter in this. It has to be different for, uh, depending on what your objective of the campaign is. Um, people always want a silver bullet and there, there just isn't one anymore. Um, I know that I mentioned earlier that we were in a time in public relations when I first started where we could um, have a have the cookie cutter effect for all of our reports, but it's just not like that anymore. Um, obviously, there are um, analytics available on a lot of um, social platforms now, especially if you're doing any kind of paid activity with any influencers. Um, Instagram and Facebook have some really great um, analytics that they have available uh, with it, especially if you have a business page and you do some paid influencer work, you can access some um, amazing um data and stats on how many views that that post might have had um, and what's it like an Instagram story you get access to how many people saw it in that 24 hours so this is all great um and but but they are just numbers but and when so it they're good as part of the story but it's definitely not the whole story of whether that activity was successful whether the uh, the money was well spent or not yeah uh- I I know that analytics can be used a lot to show how well something is doing or how well it did. Do you have any thoughts on whether analytics and data can be used to tell better stories? So using data, either historical or, or from other places, to be able to create a more interesting story or one that will resonate? Yeah, it's a really interesting area, actually. And um, as a team at Coverage Book, something that we've been looking into a little bit more this year, actually. Um, And we have been working with some of our regular uh, users of Coverage Book 
to find out not just how the users feel when they're creating reports, but actually the report readers. So who are receiving PR reports? How do they feel? Are they satisfied or not? And it's not just about uh, coverage book reports and such, but, you know, any PR report. Um, I think having some consistency in some metrics from campaign to campaign can help with storytelling. Um, so even though it's not always going, your, evalu- your ultimate evaluation and whether you hit that objective, that will change campaign to campaign. However, looking at some metrics um, from different uh, across the activities and keeping those data points the same um, across each activity can really help tell stories. So, for example, um, you can, and this is something that I think the the, the paid world do quite well. They'll say um, this month, in comparison to last month, we saw uh, an increase in people going to the the um, the opening times page on on this on this retailer website in comparison to last month and and being able to compare last month to this month instantly gives you an insight that will spark a question of why what changed why why did more people go to the opening times page on on a retail site you know did something happen like well that's good because maybe more people are going to go in store now um but what you know let's dig into why Mm -hmm. and so i think that you, without that comparison of those like, consistent metrics, um, you can't tell those stories. Um, and so I think that's something that um, we're hoping to look at in the future. And, and, and I hope that uh, more PR teams are able to do that, where they can start to record um, some consistent metrics over time. Um, and then, uh, you know, whether it's at the end of the quarter or the end of the year, they can go back and start to tell a story about how they have um, engaged their audience and what kind of change in behavior they've been able to prove. I, when I'm thinking of storytelling, I'm usually thinking of it in like a content marketing perspective. And I sometimes forget that that this storytelling will happen inside of organizations as well. So rather than just sending over links to some coverage, um, Maybe there's something more interesting in the the data and the reporting that's being gathered that can be communicated to the C-suite. But there's also this idea that if you have access to some metrics that other people don't, those are stories. I remember Foursquare, uh, and it was really exciting. It was the next Facebook for a while, and then it wasn't the next Facebook, so it was in this you know downtrodden part. And then they started telling these kind of interesting stories because they knew about foot traffic. So one thing that Foursquare, which is a check-in app, um, I'm not sure if it was as big in the UK as it was in North America, but uh, they have this really clear insight into foot traffic. And so they could, in a way, predict the quarterly sales of a retailer. And so uh, if someone was, if Target, uh, all of a sudden Foursquare saw that their foot traffic into the store based on the check-ins had dropped by 30%, they could predict with a pretty high level of accuracy that Target's next quarter was going to be lower from a revenue perspective. And they use this to tell PR stories. So they reach out to the press, they're like, here's some data that we see. We can't say what their next quarter is going to look like, but we do see that there's been a 30% drop in traffic. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, like, even though we are doing so much data, it's just using it in the right way and like and using some that you know well that's the what so no one data source a data source uh, data point is going to be more perfect than the other I mean some might be more accurate but you know there isn't just one that the uh, ultimate ultimate source of 
data that we should all use. But whatever one you choose, you know, just having that consistency where you can compare does bring out some really interesting insights and, and it can tell some really great stories. And, you know, in the world, in a world where there is so much data, and especially where we talk about, you know, the more, well, so much more artificial intelligence being used, um, there's still such a big place for uh, the human touch to be able to explain that and to explain what's going on and relate it to business knowledge that only a human would know, you know, right. and, yeah. and PR people are very good at that. So yeah. what do you be more confident in it? <laughs> That's right. It's it can be just a, a confidence thing. It's like when you it's almost like PR has started a new job, right? And when you start a new job, yeah. you're always a little bit nervous about whether you have the experience in history to be able to do that. And one of the things I'm curious about is, are there any are there any good books out there that can, you know, someone that isn't as familiar with PR that they might be able to, is there a good read out there that they could maybe get themselves into it? Um, can I do a, a, a shameless plug? Yes. I would say read my book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I have a book called PR's Digital Resolution. And I actually wrote it in 2015, but I think it's still really relevant right now. And so it's about the relationship between PR and search engine optimization mm -hmm. and the huge impact um, that public relations has uh, within Google and um, so Google reputation of a brand but also the the traffic and sales that come through Google um, do a to a piece of content onto your website um, is is hugely powered by the work of public relations yeah public relations digital revolution is, is my one and um, but I guess we, where can we where can our listeners buy it uh, it's on Amazon, and also uh, you, you can just search for Stella Bales and PR's Digital Resolution. It should come up to Nice. It should do if it's about SEO, shouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, that's great. I think, I think if everyone could, that isn't in PR, it sounds like learning from someone that has been in the space, uh, as long as you have in so many different facets, going from uh, PR agency to building in uh, technology around helping the PR industry and even getting into it, uh, not even knowing you were getting into PR. I think it's it's so interesting to hear that, you know, you're creating MySpace pages, you didn't even know that you were doing PR at the time. Um, and and I think it's important that, uh, that we move the industry forward and there's, there's people like you that are going to do that through tools, technology, and thought leadership. So I'm so happy that we were able to have you here on the podcast. Uh, and is there anything else that that you wanted to share with any of our listeners? Um, I think like just going back to the books quickly. So it's not just the shameless for my own book. And um, I guess if you're just totally new to public relations before you jump to SEO and PR, um, another book that I'd recommend is um, by a guy called Rich Lay, and it's called the um, the Myth of PR um, and he he really does sort of uh, cover all of those uh, I don't know all of those obvious points that uh, people think that public relations is 
and he'll either sort of bust that myth or, or say whether it's true or not. Um, and I think that's a really good start, actually. But also, um, I actually have a podcast too, which uh, you, you would know, but maybe your listeners won't know. So, um, yeah, again, it's the it's the PR resolution podcast. So we always look at different areas of emerging areas that are coming up in public relations, um, and I try and sort of cover those. So if you want to, if there if people are interested in PR and, and where it's emerging and where it might be going. Um, watch out for too. and i've i've listened to it and it's a fun podcast it's you have some some great guests on there not include this is a shameless plug for myself because i was on it but I, <laughs> it's interesting listening to two pr professionals talk to each other about their industry uh i that's what i love about podcasts is you get to be an observer to a conversation that normally you wouldn't be a part of it'd be super weird if i just showed up at your office and listened in on your meetings uh but i feel like i get to do that in your podcast so uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Coverage Book is going to do next, and we'll be watching for your new products that are coming out, and I hope that all of our listeners can go and check out coveragebook.com, Answer the Public, Answer the Client, and CoverageBot, which are some of the tools that you've created. So thank you so much, Stella, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. This episode of The Science of Storytelling is brought to you by Pressboard Boost. Hey listen, we all know getting press coverage is damn hard. And once you finally get that elusive press hit, it disappears from the news cycle and social media in a matter of days, or more likely hours. But what if you could bring back that press coverage, back to life anytime you wanted, and get it in front of the people that matter? Back into their social feeds as if it was brand new. Pressboard Boost is a PR professional secret weapon. Check it out at boost.studiostack.com and start boosting your coverage right now. That's boost.studiostack.com.